This is a CBC Podcast. When I was a kid, my dad took me fishing a few times. Well, my dad fished. Well, my sister and I played nearby, making sure to be quiet so he didn't scare the fish away. We watched Dad reel in fish after fish, filling a big bucket with pickerel, pike, catfish, bass, all kinds of fish. He'd gut and clean them, packing them away in the freezer for later. We'd have fish for months after a trip to the lake. These days, when he comes home from fishing, those buckets aren't as full. He feels like there just aren't as many fish anymore. How my dad feels about his fishing trips doesn't make national headlines. But to him, there's something worrying about the change. That's the case in a lot of places across the country. More and more, it's everyday people, like my dad, noticing changes in the environment around them and drawing attention to issues they are concerned about things they see changing in their neighborhoods, their backyards, on their waterfronts. I'm Phelan Johnson, and this is Hell of a Story. When it reached Atlantic Canada during the 2022 hurricane season, Hurricane Fiona was the costliest and most intense tropical storm to hit Canada on record. By the time the winds and waves crashed into PEI, it wasn't even classified as a hurricane anymore, but a post-tropical storm. And still, forests were downed, homes were demolished, wharfs were sucked into the sea, and the shoreline was absolutely pummeled. For weeks, islanders were left wading through the debris. Places where I've seen trees, trees are 150 years old, gone. I mean gone. And holes just up the street here. It raised a lot of questions and concerns about the future of the island, because not everyone agrees on how to keep the island above water. Today we're heading to PEI, where a wall is dividing the island's residents. They're in a battle to save their shoreline against storm surges, asking questions about who builds what and where. Here's Janet Graham's documentary about the struggle to find natural solutions to PEI's eroding shores. So uh, I'm just getting ready to send an email off to Premier Dennis King, Minister of the Environment Stephen Myers, and Minister of Lands and Agriculture Darlene Compton. It's a week before last Christmas, 2022, and 65-year-old Joan Diamond is sitting in front of her computer. Along with the email, I'm going to attach a petition with 2,000 signatures, mostly from islanders, um, along with a document with all their comments. By islanders, Joan means Prince Edward Islanders. 
There are pages of comments ranging from this is a disgrace to this needs to stop. That's the general theme here. On the surface, the issue is about the right to walk along the shoreline. On Prince Edward Island, most beaches are public property. Joan reads me an excerpt from the petition. Should citizens have to work this hard to convince our government to do the right thing? Premier King, we were all there when your campaign promises included vigorous protection of our lands. It's time to stand by that promise. It's time to halt this construction. The construction is a waterfront summer home belonging to a Toronto couple, Jesse and Julie Rash. And perhaps it would have gone up unnoticed, if not for one thing, the seawall. It's a giant rock wall that many locals say makes walking the length of the beach impossible. People who used to walk that beach, well, they can't walk it. You'd have to crawl up over armor stone to be able to walk that stretch of beach. Jesse Rash disagrees, and others say it is passable at low tide. But we'll get to that. For a lot of islanders, beaches are sacred. And that's why Joan and the coalition are petitioning to get the seawall stopped and removed. Okay. There we go. I just sent the email to the Premier and the Minister, so we'll see what happens. But it's not just about being able to take a stroll along the beach. PEI is eroding. It always has been. But as climate change brings rising sea levels and temperatures, plus more frequent storm surges, the island's being reclaimed by the sea faster than ever before. On average, the island is losing 28 centimeters of land every year. That's almost a foot. In some places, storm surges have claimed up to five meters of land. That makes PEI one of the most vulnerable places in the country when it comes to the climate crisis. And scientists and engineers agree that seawalls can actually make it worse. You know, there was a a previous Minister of Environment in Canada that that, uh, said the impact of climate change was going to be PEI breaking into three islands. You know, uh, that's a very serious threat here. Uh, With the coastal erosion and rising sea levels, uh, it's a very real possibility. And people with Fiona have really seen it happen. So uh, that's, I think, in part why this is such a sensitive issue. I'm walking with Bryson Guptill and his dog, Lily. Bryson isn't a scientist. He's a retired public servant who worked as a senior policy advisor, both in Ottawa and on PEI. These days, though, he's known as the founder of the Island Walk, a 700-kilometer hiking route that's been called PEI's El Camino. Hikers circumnavigate the island using trails, red dirt roads, and, wherever possible, the beach. Bryson was the first person to post about the wall on Facebook. Down there on the shore, there's the new development. Wow, you can see it from here. see it from here. We're on the North Shore in an area called Blooming Point. It's not far from Point de Roche. That's where the wall is and where we're heading today. A couple of kilometers away, and you start to see the seawall visible on the horizon. Gray boulders rising up out of the ruddy sand. On the bank, there's construction where a house once stood, now demolished by the new owners. Bryson says that over the years, you could actually measure the island's erosion against the old property. Because of all the erosion, it had actually become much closer to the ocean than it used to be. 
And as a result, probably 20 years ago, the folks that lived there had to build a new seawall. So there was a, you're used to seeing something down there. And we would walk down often to that house and around the seawall to get further down the beach. So it's a beautiful, undisturbed beach. It's been like this, of course, forever. And then we noticed that um, there was some construction that was beginning to happen. The old seawall, which was built from creosote-soaked timber, was removed by the new owners. Now a replacement was being put in. And so we became quite concerned about how that was happening. Seawalls are among the most common coastal defense systems made of hard materials like concrete, boulders, or steel. The idea of building a wall to keep back the sea was once a common method of protecting a home. But a recent report by the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change said that even though seawalls might reduce impacts to people and buildings in the short term, they can cause long-term exposure to climate risks. That's because they can block the natural movement of waves that would otherwise replenish beaches, which can cause damage to wildlife habitat and trouble for entire communities. Top among the concerns is beach loss, both in front of the wall and beside it, something called flanking erosion. This is what happens with armor stone protection. On both sides, the, uh, the dynamic of the waves shoots to the edges, and on both sides of the development, there's an an extraordinary amount of erosion. Seawalls have been at the center of controversy many times over the years. In the early 2000s, a university in Wisconsin built a seawall along Lake Michigan, and neighbors found that the shorelines at their homes had eroded by 40 feet, about 12 meters, within a decade. Property values plummeted, and at least one house had to be demolished because the shoreline was just too eroded to keep the building standing. The combination of storm surges and seawalls can make erosion particularly noticeable. Many PEI beaches experienced erosion linked to Fiona. Drone footage gathered by CBC last year showed significant erosion around the wall following the storm. The rashes suggest that their seawall likely mitigated damage, but government officials have said the opposite, that this wall has contributed to erosion at Pointe de Roche. Question to the Minister of Environment, Energy and Climate Change. What legislation and regulations exist to prevent shoreline armoring in one spot that negatively impacts neighboring properties? This is MLA Brad Trivers in the PEI legislature in November 2022. The question is being put to Stephen Myers, the Minister of Environment, Energy and Climate Action. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So there, there's nothing that, that would protect the adjacent shoreline. I think it's the it's the crux, it's part of the crux of the Point Roche argument is that if you look at the pictures post Fiona, it's really accelerated the erosion next to it. And that's what armoring will do in places that have it that the, the neighbors don't. So we, it's a policy that we have to get right. Should we allow it at all? Should we force people to pull back? Like, what are we going to do to best protect Prince Edward Island from climate change? And, and I don't know the answer, but we, because I'm not the expert in it. I've never come across another issue that's riled so many islanders. Facebook groups, letters to the editor, the coalition's petition. I asked Bryson why this seems to be a breaking point. I think the reason it's become so much of an issue is this is an existential threat for Prince Edward Island. The island is more vulnerable than any other province. Its shoreline is more vulnerable. And we expect the governments 
whoever they are, to respect a public trust. And this, the public trust has been broken here. The PEI Planning Act stipulates a buffer zone for developments. According to a statement made by the province to the CBC, the development was permitted in a, quote, working policy, which decided that when it comes to existing developments already within the buffer zone, they can remain there, but any new additions or modifications cannot encroach any further seaward into the buffer. The same thinking applies to existing erosion control structures. Such as seawalls. Several journalists and other members of the public have asked to see this working policy, but it's never been released. According to a statement from the province, the new seawall is on the same footprint as the old seawall. At least it's no further seaward. But critics point out that the beach in front of and next to the wall has eroded, so the water is now closer to the wall. This is one of the frustrations that critics of the wall have. That in allowing this seawall, the province is failing to take the realities of climate change into account. That grandfathering a seawall is one thing on paper, and quite another on the shore. And I think that's why, in this case, um, islanders are thinking, okay, is there something we can actually do to stop this? In December of 2022, after months of public pressure, Minister Stephen Myers issued a moratorium on new shoreline protection within the buffer zone. It was a move that failed to impress Bryson Guptill. And they're allowing this development to continue, even though they've declared a moratorium, which in fact is, uh, is somewhat meaningless. <laughs> the Coalition for the Protection of PEI is hosting a forum. There's more than 100 people here gathered in a community centre in Charlottetown. My name is Dale Small. In particular, in, in regard to Point de Roche, I've visited there uh, three times. And, uh, you know, starting from the very first look, I was shocked. Uh, the only thing I can think of is this all out of sight, out of mind type of uh, scenario. But in this particular case, uh, people discovered it and caught on to it. My name is Marion. I live in Trakady, just uh, down the beach from uh, Point de Roche. And uh, I'm just insulted and angry that anyone would have the gall to put boulders on a beach. So, yeah, we want those boulders removed. we're approaching used to be the beach. And what is it now? It's solid rock. Bryson and I have been making our way down the beach and we're getting close to the wall. You know, hundreds and hundreds of tons of, uh, of armor stone. And you can see how far it sticks out. This is the first time I've seen it in person and it's even bigger than it looks in the photos. Giant boulders piled on top of each other tower over us. But while I'm looking up, Bryson is more interested in what's happening around us. So you'll notice here that the sand dunes kind of taper down and disappear. And there's this little stream that comes out from the uh, Darash Pond. What happened with Fiona, because the water was two meters, two and a half meters higher than it is now, they scooted right back into that marsh. And with the high winds blowing on there, the water went back 
more than 100 meters into that marsh zone. So that's the kind of thing that happens when you've got this sort of development. It forces the water around the armor stone, pushes it down on both sides. And so that, that will blow through eventually right into the marsh, which will jeopardize this whole point when it happens. So this whole wetland could disappear. Who do you blame here? Is this the landowners? Is this, yeah, I guess, who, who's at fault? I don't blame the land developer, the, uh, the company that did this. Uh, I mean, they're trying to make a buck. This is a, a prime piece of real estate. There are no other uh, places along this shore. Uh, I blame the government. I reached out to the property owners. Jesse Rash responded by email. It is regrettable to see the politicization of our cottage development. In a nutshell, we bought a beautiful property with a rundown seawall and hired experts to build a replacement shoreline protection system. We were not hands-on in any of the shoreline design or permitting details. We did express our desire to the development team for it to be as natural as possible, and I'm confident it will look good once it's naturalized in the near future. Our work has been lawfully approved and it will be respectfully seen through to completion. We love PEI and would be pleased if the discussions spurred by our cottage lead to changes that Islanders feel best serve all the stakeholders involved in permitting shorefront property development. In another email, he wrote that, There are still people who believe the beach has been blocked by our work. This lie was repeated often in recent weeks, and we don't expect everyone to embrace the truth. I was there, and to get around the wall, you either have to accept that you're going to get very wet or do a bit of dangerous rock climbing. I'm told that this is the case, except on a still day when the tide is at its lowest. The owner sent me photos showing you couldn't walk past the old seawall at certain times either, like on a windy day at high tide. I never saw the old wall in person, but Bryson says... We would walk down often to that house and around the seawall to get further down the beach because the beach goes all the way three and a half kilometers from here and uh, then you can walk another Where things stand now, this rock wall is firmly in place and there's no sign that it's going to be taken down. But when it comes to the story of erosion and protecting PEI shorelines, there's a bigger picture. There are a lot of elements contributing to the island's receding beaches, high winds, rising sea levels, and the very foundation of the island itself, a crumbling sandstone. So what's the solution? Yeah, this is what they do, they just block wind. Kind of neat. Yeah. Daniel McRae has an idea. Living shorelines. I work with uh, the McPhail Woods Ecological Forestry Project. And we're up here at the PEI National Park near Dalvey by the Sea looking at some windblown crumholtz. Crumholtz are plants, not a specific species of plant, but something that can happen to trees and shrubs on coastal windswept areas, which includes a lot of PEI. Daniel describes crumholtz as rugged, scraggly. <laughs> it's a German word in origin, and it stands for bent wood. They also call them kneeholtz, which I think is bent knee. What happens is that wind, sweeping in and gathering speed over the ocean, not only bends these coastal plants over, but it kills the top of their growth, so only their lowest branches grow. They can go totally horizontal, where they look like a carpet along the ground. So in our highest areas, like up at East Point and stuff, these really windy cliffs, you'll have these spruce trees that are growing 12 feet horizontally. 
They're often conifer trees like white spruce, but also shrubs like wild rose, bayberries, and juniper. Yeah, so as you can see, the Kamaholts here are incredibly dense. There's a lot of crawling when you want to explore them. There's a whole bunch of kind of sub-habitats of Kamaholts that we found on PEI through this research. But uh, effectively, it's a reaction of the ecosystem to these growing conditions to create stronger growth forms that can resist these winds, kind of diffuse that energy, and then they end up protecting both the shoreline and erosion as well as the inland forest behind them. You can actually feel the difference. When we step kind of further out from the Krumholtz, definitely feeling the brunt of the wind more. So that's one of the things that we're looking at what the Krumholtz do, and, and this is a neat thing. You know, when European settlers first arrived on PEI, it was over 90, you know, 4% forested. And you had these massive, you know, beech and oak trees, these trees that generally don't grow along the coast. And they were found not far from the coast. And it was these Krumholtz growths that diffuse that wind energy and that wave energy to slow erosion and keep it at a, you know, reasonable level. We're an eroding island, we're going to erode, but these kept it at a reasonable level. And then they also provide that buffer. But Daniel had a more recent point of comparison too. Fiona really changed the coastlines and these Krumholtz areas seem to come through these events the best. You know, after this Hurricane Fiona, I've been out looking at my sites, getting worried about what happened. And honestly, the healthiest ones especially, but most of them look relatively untouched. Living shorelines grow over time, working with the natural environment rather than against it. Living shorelines happen naturally, but they can also be encouraged, helped along by humans. The idea is to take cues from whatever's natural to the area. In some places, this can mean a marsh, in others a reef. Beyond this island, Krumholtz also happen in Maine, New Hampshire, British Columbia, Newfoundland and Labrador, and Oregon. But Prince Edward Island is perfectly suited to them, and that's an important point for Daniel. Because they're the ecosystems, they're the natural island ecosystem solution, they kind of happen. And conditions want to grow windblown trees that protect everything else and slow down erosion. So, you know, a viable solution might be leaving sites for a couple of seasons, letting something get established, and then going in with enhancement plantings. The Rashists have a website dedicated to their property, and there's a section about plans for naturalizing the seawall. Things like using native soils, growing indigenous plants, and placing, quote, boulders and logs in strategic locations to assist with the mitigation of element-driven erosion. The website describes a goal of stabilizing and naturalizing the embankment and reducing erosion. But it's unclear how long that will take, or if there's another storm like Fiona, how effective any of this will be. When we talk about the development at Point de Roche, do you think something like Krumholtz and and investing in reforesting shoreline with Krumholtz is a viable solution. Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) I think it's the solution. Um, You know, I think that comes with caveats. A lot of times when we talk about solutions, what we mean is like a quick solution. Then there's a quality solution that may not be quite as quick, but in the long run has multitude more benefits, multitude less worries, costs, and dangers. And that's what these ecosystems are. I mean, it not only slows down erosion, protects our shore, not only provides habitat and uh, food for all kinds of wildlife, they also provide protection to our forests closer to the shore, allowing various different species to grow so we can have a healthier habitat, more diversity. 
you know, they're leaching nutrients into the marine ecosystems. They're doing all of these functions that a rock wall can't do. So I think it's a long-term solution because the rock walls, they arrive in certain spots and then everywhere near them tends to suffer the consequences of that. Um, and they'll need to be repaired. They're not a long-lasting solution. So these, to me, I, I think it's the solution. I think it's just sometimes adjusting our expectation to what a solution's going to look like. The whole North Shore of PEI probably wants to grow some version of Krumholtz, almost all of it, and a lot of other parts of the coast, too. So possible solutions here. According to Daniel McCrae, a living shoreline. And according to Bryson Guptill, legislation. There's a different context that people have to start focusing on now, and I think the government's trying to get their heads around this, but the context is climate change. The protection of coastal areas is an extremely important priority for any government that's in place here. That's something that Joan Diamond, the petition writer, is still trying to make happen with impressive tenacity. So December 18th, we sent the petition to Darlene Compton, Stephen Myers, and the Premier, and no one got a response. I'm disheartened, I'm disappointed, but then there's still a part of me that hopes that they'll realize that people are starting to pay attention and that they need to change the way they're doing things. We live on an island. It's basically a little sandbar in the middle of the ocean, right? We know that Stonewall, it erodes everything around it. Point de Ross will eventually be sitting out in the middle of the ocean. Climate specialists have said that that natural shoreline protection is the absolute best way to go. We know. That documentary was produced by Jana Graham and A.C. Rowe. It originally aired on What on Earth. And that's it for this week's Hell of a Story. The show is produced by Tanira McLean, Julia Poggle, and me. We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. And hey, if you like what you're hearing on Hell of a Story, why not hit subscribe, save to your favorites, tell a friend about us. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Phelan Johnson. Now Goa, and thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.